Welcome to The Veteran Doctor. This podcast is for anyone interested to improving their knowledge on veteran-centric topics. Veterans have dedicated their lives to serving our country, so now it's our turn to serve them as they transition back into their civilian lives. We have discovered that there is a lack of knowledge on the availability of resources and how to properly navigate the systems available to veterans when they transition out of the military service. This podcast's purpose is to help bridge this gap of knowledge and guide veterans to resources that they so deserve. The Veteran Doctor is hosted by Dr. John Heinzelman, who has a master's degree in sports and performance psychology and a doctorate in psychology where he specializes in research. He is also a retired Army Airborne Infantry veteran with 22 years of service. So sit back, relax, and enjoy The Veteran Doctor. Good morning, veterans, family, and friends. Welcome back to the 17th episode of The Veteran Doctor. On this week's episode, we will discuss how America's veterans population is changing. We will also continue with our fun facts of UBI, useful bits of information, and veteran news. So stick around for the rest of our program. Hello, fellow veterans. Welcome back. I hope all is well and everyone is staying safe in these challenging times. It's been a while since we have uh, last discussed any topics. I've been surfing around for some different and interesting ones to discuss, and I found one that is changing the face of the veteran population that I think you might find interesting, so I hope you enjoy it. There were around 20.4 million U.S. veterans as of 2016, according to the data from the Department of Veteran Affairs. This represents less than 10% of the U.S. adult population. I have included some key facts of those who have served in the military and how this population is slowly changing and represented within the American population. Number one, Gulf War era veterans now account for the largest share of all U.S. veterans. This surpasses the Vietnam era veterans as of 2016, according to the Veteran Affairs 2016 population model estimates. There were 6.8 million American veterans who served during the Vietnam era and 7.1 million who served in the Gulf War era, which spans from August 1990 to present day. Some veterans served through both eras. There were also around 771,000 World War II veterans and 1.6 million who served during the Korean conflict according to VA estimates. About three-quarters, 77% of veterans in 2016 served during wartime, and 23% only served during peacetime. Number two, the share of the U.S. population with military experience is declining. As of 2016, 7% of the U.S. adults were veterans, which is down from 18% in 1980, according to the National Census Bureau. This drop coincides with the decreases in active duty personnel due to the military downsizing. Over the past half century, the number of people on active duty has dropped significantly from 3.5 million in 1968 during the draft era to 1.3 million or less than 1% of the U.S. adult population 
in today's all-volunteer force. The military draft ended in 1973. VA projections suggest that the number of veterans who will continue to decline in the coming decades. By 2045, the department estimates that there will be around 12 million veterans, a roughly 40% decrease in current numbers. By that time, Gulf War era veterans are projected to make up the majority of the veterans. Number three, the demographic profile of veterans is expected to change in the next few decades. As of 2016, 9 in 10 veterans, 91% are men, while 9% are women, according to the VA's 2016 population model estimates. By 2045, the share of female veterans is expected to double to 18%. The number of female veterans is also projected to increase from around 1.9 million in 2016 to 2.2 million in 2045. Male veterans, on the other hand, are projected to drop by almost half from 18.5 million in 2016 to 9.8 million in 2045. Projections also indicate that the veteran population will become slightly younger by 2045, with 33% of the veterans more youthful than 50 compared to 27% in 2016, even as the overall U.S. population continues to age. The share of veteran ages 50 to 69 is expected to shrink from 39% to 33%, while the percentages of those 70 and older is predicted to be around a third of the total 37, 34% by 2045, similar to the current share. As with the trends in the U.S. population overall, the veteran population is predicted to become more racially and ethnically diverse. Between 2016 and 2045, the share of veterans who are non-Hispanically white is expected to drop from 77% to 64%. The percentage of Hispanic veterans is expected to nearly double from 7% to 13%, while the share who are black is likely to increase from 12% to 16%. Number four, fewer members of Congress have prior military experience than in the past. As the share of Americans who are veterans has declined, so has the percentage of Congress members who have previously served in the military. In the current Congress, 20% of senators and 19% of representatives have prior military service, down drastically from that of just a few decades ago. The share of senators who are veterans reached a post-Korean War peak of 81% in 1975, while the percentage among House members peaked in 1967 at 75%. However, there were signs more veterans could run for office in the future. Number five, the Department of Veteran Affairs receives a low favorability rate. While the public expresses favorable views in many federal agencies, the VA received a low, the lowest rating among 10 agencies and departments in a Pew Research Center survey earlier this year. Roughly half of the U.S. adults, 49%, had a favorable view of the VA and 34% expressed an unfavorable view. As with all agencies and departments in the survey, there are few partisan differences. Republicans and Republican-leaning independents expressed lower favorability for the VA, 40%, than Democrats and Democratic leaners at 60%. However, Americans continue to see veteran services as an essential priority.
right, welcome back. We're going to move on to our next part of our program called UBI, Useful Bits of Information, or depending on your perspective, Useless Bits of Information. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies called The Band of Brothers. In 1998, HBO wants a still fledgling cable network that had not yet still completely broken through with hits like The Sopranos and Sex on the City decided to take its biggest project ever, a massive 10-hour World War II ministry executive produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. It took over three years, more than $100 million, and thousands of work hours later, the Band of Brothers was brought to the world. The true story of a single paratrooper company making their way through the last year of the war in Europe. The Band of Brothers dwarfed other TV dramas of its era with its budget, its cast, its effects, and its extraordinary attention to the period of detail. The result was one of the most acclaimed World War II dramas ever filmed. So from the sheer scale of the production to the cast boot camp to some actors you may have forgotten about, here are 10 things you might not have known about the Band of Brothers. Number one, Band of Brothers budget was unheard of at the time. When Band of Brothers began its journey onto the screen in the late 1990s, one of HBO's chief concerns in agreeing to produce the series was its budget. Today, in the wake of the Game of Thrones, it seems natural for a network to foot a bill of such an epic undertaking, but at the time, the amount of money called for was almost unheard of. When discussions first began, it became clear that the ministries would cost at least $125 million to produce, which meant $12 million per episode. That's a figure that dwarfed even the most prestigious and popular TV dramas at the time, and it didn't even factor in the massive marketing budget of at least $15 million the network was considering to promote the event. So what convinced HBO to put it up the money? A number of factors, but having Hanks and Spielberg on board certainly helped. It's not saying that they didn't bat an eye, Hanks told the New York Times in 2001. Oh, they did bat an eye, but the reality is this was expensive. You had to have deep pockets, and HBO has deep pockets. Number two, Jeep helped promote the Band of Brothers. The promotional campaign for the Band of Brothers was almost as massive as its budget, with HBO attempting to draw the curiosity of as many non-subscribers as possible one of the ways they achieved this was by forming the network's first ever partnership with another company to launch a series of commercials. That company was Jeep, which was celebrating its 60th anniversary on its signature vehicle at the time. The classic military Jeep figures prominently in the Band of Brothers. It appears more than 1,000 times throughout the series, so it, it was a natural fit. Together, HBO and Jeep shot a series of six commercials tying into the series filmed on Utah Beach in Normandy, France. Not a place commercials can usually allow to shoot. The spots aired on broadcast television, allowing HBO a rare chance at the time to get its products before an audience that large. Number three, the Band of Brothers caused some controversy in the United Kingdom. Though the Band of Brothers was largely well-received by audiences both in the United States and abroad, 
It did cause some controversy in the United Kingdom before it even aired there. According to The Guardian, the Fuhrer was stirred up by the Daily Mail, which published a condemnation of the ministries for its lack of British soldiers. The series, of course, is meant to follow a single company of American troops as they navigate the last year of the war in Europe. But that didn't stop the, the Daily Mail by decreeing the show's narrow focus. The publication called forward various British veterans who declared Band of Brothers an absolute disgrace and an insult to millions of brave Britons who helped win the war, the implication being that the, the serious essential depicted only the Americans as winning the war in Europe. The controversy, while noteworthy, was short-lived. Number four, the Band of Brothers production was massive. Band of Brothers, a 10-hour ministry set entirely during World War II, would be a massive undertaking even now, but it was particularly gargantuan when it was produced. Some figures that proved just how big it was, according to the, a documentary, The Making of the Band of Brothers, the production required 2,000 Americans and German military uniforms, 1,200 vintage costumes, that's not counting the newly made ones, more than 10,000 extras, more than 14,000 rounds of ammunition a day, and 500 speaking roles. The special effects alone were so massive that by the time the third episode had completed, the production had already used more pyrotechnics than Saving Private Ryan, which is particularly impressive given that much of the first episode is taken by boot camp sex sequences. Number five, the Band of Brothers was largely filmed in one location. The story of the Band of Brothers takes the men of Easy Company across half the European continent through several different countries and even seasons. Despite the vivid depiction of all of these vivid places of the journey, the ministries, aside from certain location shoots, was largely filmed in one place. Thanks to a large tax break from the UK government, the production was headquartered at Hatfield Aerodome, an old British aerospace factory that had been converted into a massive 1100 acre backlot. The various hangars from the factory were used to house the costumes, props, weapons, tanks, and other equipment used to shoot the series, and some hangars even housed various sets. Number 6. A single village set played nearly a dozen different towns in the Band of Brothers. Because the Band of Brothers was mostly shot on the Hatfield backlot, the crew had to make certain accommodations to portray much of the Europe in a small place. One key factor was the 12-acre village set constructed on the lot. The set that the size is a massive undertaking anyway, but to depict the various places Easy Company visits, the village had to be con constantly redressed to show England, Holland, and Belgium and other locations. In all, the village ended up playing 11 different towns throughout the ministries. Number seven. The Bastogne sequences in the Band of Brothers were actually filmed indoors. One of the most harrowing segments of the Band of Brothers takes place in the sixth episode, Bastogne. Caught in the middle of the Battle of the Bulge and low on supplies, Easy Company faces its toughest challenge, yet as they try to hold off the massive German forces, even as they are starving and freezing to death. It's a powerful episode, but most of the time, the actors were faking the hardship the sequences in which the company was huddled 
down in the foxholes, scrounging for whatever food and medicine they could get, were largely filmed in a massive indoor set constructed in one of the hangars of Hatfield. The production uses real trees and numerous fiberglass trees, which could be broken apart to simulate German shells to create the forest and paper mixes and various polymers to create artificial snow. It's estimated that more than a third of a million pounds of paper was used to make snow throughout the sequence, and it took four weeks to completely, completely cover the set. It's the biggest amount ever used on one set for anything, snow effects supervisor David Crownshaw said. It should be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Number eight, the guns in the Band of Brothers were the real thing. Every major character in the Band of Brothers wielded at least one firearm throughout the entire production, and many of the men of Easy Company are never without their trusty M1 Garand rifles. The World War II era weapons were the key to the production, and Hanks and Spielberg insisted on authenticity, so they went to the arms dealers and picked up 700 authentic period weapons for the production. Numerous other guns, including pistols, largely kept up in holsters, were made of rubber. But very often, when you see the men of EC Company firing their rifles at the enemy, they were firing the real thing. Number nine, the Band of Brothers cast featured several up-and-coming actors who went on to become major stars. Because Band of Brothers included hundreds of speaking roles, including dozens of American soldiers, the production had to recruit a virtual army of young actors, many of whom are relatively unknown at the time. If you go back and watch the series now, you'll see several young faces that are now recognizable as major movie stars among the now big names, James McAvery, Tom Hardy, Simon Pegg, Michael Fassbender, Colin Hanks, Dominic Cooper, Jim Fallon, and Andrew Scott. Number 10, the Band of Brothers cast trained together and bonded during their 10-day boot camp. To develop a better understanding of the military culture their characters were involved in, to get them in the right physical and mental shape of their ministries, the cast portrayed Easy Company embarked on an intensive 10-day boot camp before shooting, training 18 hours a day under a watchful eye of Captain Dale Dye. Dye, a former Marine and Vietnam veteran who came to Hollywood after he left the military to become a technical advisor, served as a senior military advisor on the production and also portrayed Colonel Robert Sink in the series. Dye led the boot camp and even helped direct key battle sequences in an effort to get the cast as close to real soldiers as possible. According to the men who portrayed Easy Company, the experience brought them closer together and made them more like the real unit. You hit walls in boot camp, Scott Grimes, who played Sergeant Malarkey said. You hit these personal, mental, physical walls that you have to get over, basically. There were guys the first night at boot camp that cried themselves to sleep that I was there for, and they were there for me. In addition to boot camp, the Easy Company cast also undertook a version of paratrooper training to ensure authenticity. Among the challenges, jumping out of a mocked-up plane fuselage while strapped to the harness simulating a parachute from a height of 40 feet.
This concludes the UBI portion of our program. We will now move on to veteran news. And this week's veteran news talks about the North Korean official says Biden's criticism on missile launches reveals deep-seated hostility toward their country. North Korea on Saturday snapped back at President Joe Biden's criticism on its ballistic missile tests, calling its his comments and provocation and encroachment on the North's right to self-defense and vowings, vowing to continuously expand its most thoroughgoing and overwhelming military power. The launches show how the North continues to expand its, its military capabilities while nuclear negotiations with the United States remain stalled. They also underscore the growing threat such short-range missiles pose to U.S. allies South Korea and Japan, which host a combined 80,000 U.S. troops as the core of the America's military presence in the region. Biden was restrained as he admonished North Korea for the launches, which were a violation of the U.N. sanctions against the North. We're consulting with our allies and partners, Biden said at the first news conference of his presidency on Thursday, and there will be responses if they choose to escalate. We will respond accordingly, but I am also prepared for some form of diplomacy, but it has to be conditioned upon the ending result of denuclearization. The North Korean officials state they have deep apprehension over Biden's remarks and openly revealing his deep-seated hostility toward North Korea. They also state that his gangster-like logic for the United States to criticize the North's tactical weapons testing when the Americas are, Americans are freely testing intercontinental ballistic missiles and could send their strategic military assets to the region surrounding the Korean Peninsula at any time. They also stated that if the U.S. continues with its thoughtless remarks without thinking of its consequences, it may be faced with something that is not good. It is unclear how Biden's administration will respond before it completes its policy review of the North Korea in the coming weeks. The United States has downsized its drills with South Korea and stopped sending nuclear-capable bombers and aircraft carriers since President Donald Trump's first summit with Kim in 2018, where they issued vague statements of a nuclear-free Korean peninsula without describing when or how it would occur. But the talk stalled after the second Kim-Trump meeting in February of 2019 collapsed over the disagreement in exchanging the relief of crippling U.S. sanctions for the Nor- Norse disarmament steps. Song experts say that allies should restore the normal scale and scope of their exercises to develop a response to the growing threat of North Korea's short-range weapons, which it continues to test even as it suspended nuclear and intercontinental ballistic missile tests. Well, this concludes our veteran news. We will now move on to the next portion of our program called Shoutouts. This section is reserved for recognizing new members of our podcast website and partners or sponsors who support us in everything we do. We could not continue this podcast without everyone's support, so thank you. And our new members of our website is a good friend of mine, Wolfgang Kirchner. So thanks, Wolfgang. Look forward to seeing you. And we do not have any new partners or sponsors at this time. So please take time to listen to the next part of our program, which is our podcast patron and sponsorship program. 
Do you want to be part of something bigger? Do you want to help veterans? Have you thought about helping the veteran doctor? As you may already know, the focus of the veteran doctor is to improve your knowledge on veteran-centric topics. The research and information dissemination process can be daunting with the maintenance of literature, books, websites, blogs, podcast episodes, and other administrative necessities. This ultimately takes time, resources, and marketing to reach and support veterans, as well as their very diverse needs. We are so excited about the process of podcasting and the potential impact it can have on the veteran population. To keep going and improve this podcast, we would tremendously be grateful to anyone who can support us in our expansion and growth. We are looking to enhance this podcast quality and would find it more manageable with a bit of support. So if you think you're receiving a few dollars a month worth of entertainment, we would greatly appreciate you investing in The Veteran Doctor. We offer different rewards for different pledge obligations, so please see what may fit your budget. Once again, we appreciate your support, and from all the veterans out there who benefit from this podcast, I'm sure they appreciate your support too. Every program must establish a goal and milestones to determine what is going to be done with the funding. The first goal we're going to reach is a monthly pledge of $500 collectively. The milestones are, number one, help pay for ongoing production costs, hosting fees for websites, blogs, and podcasts. Number two, help purchase rewards for patron supporters. Number three, offset marketing costs for websites, blogs, and podcasts. And number four, help buy new equipment and technology to improve podcast sound and quality. There are different rewards for each monthly donation amounts. The donation amounts range from $1 to $50 a month. The rewards include one or more of the following items listed depending on the level of monthly donation. Some examples of the rewards may consist of, number one, a thank you on the show or website. Number two, a thank you email. Number three, early access to new episodes. Number four, show swag, t-shirts, bumper stickers, lapel pins, and a pen. Number five, a patron can read a short message on the show. Number six, call in as a special guest. And number seven, a patron can determine a show topic. So if you think you're receiving a few dollars worth of uh, entertainment, come on down and support The Veteran Doctor. As veterans, we have a lot of questions when it comes to transitioning out of the military. Or are you already out of the military and having trouble reintegrating? Are you having issues finding veteran resources? Or do you just want to learn more about veterans? Well, the Veterans Resource and Transition Guide may just be the solution for your issues. This book is available on Amazon.com and is in both ebook or paperback. It is a book written to help veterans with research, knowledge, and resources with their transition back into civilian life and beyond. Our society's current problem demonstrates that many veterans, as they transition out of the military, do not have the knowledge, training, or resources to reintegrate back into society properly. They do not know where to go, what to do, and do not even have a sufficient plan to survive. The purpose of this guide is to provide a one-stop and quick reference source of research, knowledge, and resources for veterans to easily reference to give veterans a better understanding of the dynamics of veteran issues, educate veterans on the process of transitioning out of the military, what to do once they get out, develop a plan, 
and provide resources to help make life a little easier during and after that transitional experience. Additional information has been added for our survivors' benefits for surviving widows and a Military 101 class to help educate the civilian workforce on military culture and lifestyle. The guide's additional intent is to make it a living document by taking input from readers and providers on information and resources, providing an annual update to veterans on the ever-changing and developing process of transitioning and resources. This guide will provide resources of knowledge to veterans, helping guide them through their transitional journey. So grab yourself a copy today and get those resources you so deserve. Do you want to learn more about me? Maybe you uh, want to learn more about my new book or future books. What about our new veteran blog? Do you want to learn more about the veteran doctor? Well, my website may be your solution. My author website is up and is available for viewing at www.johneheinzelman.com. That's J-O-H-N-E-H-E-I-N-T-Z-E-L-M-A-N.com. This site will provide you with the latest and greatest information on me, my latest literary works, future works, my veteran blog, and this podcast, Veteran Doctor. A unique feature available on the website is the Veteran Blog. The Veteran Blog provides veterans with the latest up-to-date information on veteran-specific topics that affect everyday life, whether challenging or life-enhancing. The purpose of this site is to keep veterans informed and help improve knowledge quicker and on-demand. Subscriptions are available in monthly, weekly, and unlimited access depending on the veteran's informational requirements. The feature of this site will include special features, video, classes, depending on the subscriber access level. Please check it out and try our seven-day free trial. So as this week's episode comes to a close, we hope you enjoyed the information you gained on The Veteran Doctor. Remember, we welcome feedback on this podcast to help improve our quality and content. Or if you have any new ideas, please send them to info at johneheinzelman.com. That's J-O-H-N-E-H-E-I-N-T-Z-E-L-M-A-N.com. I hope you come back and visit us on our next episode. So until next time, take care. Be safe and enjoy your week. Have a good one.